church. Thank you, Chloe. Good morning, church. Oh, I'm excited to be back up here. I was actually a little nervous with how the introduction would go, though. Um, for those that may remember, the last time I saw Andrew introduce someone to speak, he gave them a kiss and a bunch of flowers. So it was a little awkward. But happy birthday, Rachel, for during the week. Congratulations on your 25th anniversary as well. Let's honour our senior pastors. Thank you. So grab your seats. Um, I'm really pumped about this morning. Just with, with what's been set so far, I'm really feeling that God's going to continue what he started today. And really, the key is around how we can take it from here or watching online to out into the world as well. Um, so, yeah, just put your seatbelts on, get ready for it. Um, we're going to start by looking at a passage from Acts chapter 3. So if we can have those words up there for us. Most of you will know this passage because as Pentecostals, it's a really common one that we come across quite often. So one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked, asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us, drew, their, drew his attention to them. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And taking him by the hand, that he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, uh, then went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw walking, him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man that used to sit at the gate, begging at the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. Awesome. Awesome, isn't it? And that's the thing. And, like, yes, they were on the way to the temple when this happened, but how many of us would love to be in that position where we can go up to someone, where we can recognise a need, and we can put our hand out and say, look at me, in the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, stand up and walk. Or someone that needs money, in the name of Jesus Christ, find, like, a job's going to come your way. Who would love to see that? If I could just see a quick show of hands. A few of us? Awesome. All right. Just stay in that moment and pray together. So keep your hands lifted. If you want to join in everyone else, then feel free. God, we just thank you for the incredible things you do, like we've seen this morning just firsthand. Your goodness, your mercy, your grace that comes because of what was achieved by Jesus Christ up on the cross. That the power of sin and death was overcome because of what he did for us. And like um, Anne said so beautifully, keeping us in mind even as he was hanging there up on the cross. So God, we just pray this morning that as we step through this text, as we go through and look at the life of Peter, that you'll reveal to each and every single one of us this morning exactly what it is that we can do in our lives to be able to see this, not just once and again, God, but on a regular, consistent basis, God. In your name, amen. Thank you. So the end goal of where I want to go, and I'm kind of starting at the end today, the end goal is that passage. That's where I want to take us this morning. And to start with, we're going to look at, well, we're looking at the life of Peter, and it's about coming as a child, and you'll see that very shortly. 
But then from that position, you'll see that Peter didn't just come as a child and stay as a child, but he goes as a child of God. And you see in that example where he's operating in the full authority of a child of God. So let's look at the start of Peter's calling to ministry. And that's Luke chapter 5, verse 5 is where I want to throw to now. And this is Peter as a fisherman. He was known as Simon at this portion of it. Won't go into all the details, read the Bible. Uh, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, the background to this, as I mentioned, Simon, as he was known then, Peter, uh, was a fisherman. Now, he wasn't just any old fisherman. He was actually quite a successful fisherman. They had multiple boats. He was in partnership with other people. Um, he had multiple houses as well. He had uh, like two houses, one main house and another house in another city. That house in the other city was so big that the courtyard used to be the, the area where they'd bring all the people in and they'd meet there and have like a church service with Jesus. Now, I'm imagining that in Israel back at that time, at 0 BC, thereabouts, um, that there probably wasn't like a wealth-building strategy of go out and buy multiple properties. There probably wasn't negative gearing and things like that. So to me, the fact that he's got his own business, multiple fishing boats, multiple nets, multiple houses, he's probably quite a successful fisherman. He's not just your average, everyday, run-of-the-mill fisherman. Now, off the back of that, he then arrives back to the shore early one morning. He's been out fishing all night, and he meets Jesus there. He's also, sorry, at this point, he has had contact with Jesus because um, Peter's brother was a, a disciple called Andrew, who was an early disciple of John the Baptist. And so it was through that interaction that um, Andrew and Peter both got to know Jesus through seeing um, the ministry of John the Baptist and that, that revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, he meets Jesus on the shore and Jesus says, no, it's been a tough night, but push the boats back out, drop the nets down again and you'll have success. And Peter, in all his wisdom, would have been, I'm sure, I would have thought this way anyway, I know better than you. I'm the one that does all the fishing for a living. I've been successful. I know that we've got to catch fish at night time, not in the, during the day. So this is just going to be a waste of time. But because you say so, I will drop the nets. And so he has that faith of a child to be able to just listen to Jesus and accept what he says. And he goes out. He drops the nets down, and while they're out there, they have to call for the second boat to come back in because there's so many fish that they can't hold them all in one boat. That's the power of listening to Jesus. And it's that faith as a child of, um, yeah, just listening to Jesus and doing what he says, taking it kind of at face value. I was thinking as I was writing this, like, if Jesus came to you as an example and said, look, um, I've got great things destined for your life. just want you to pack up your family, move interstate, go to some you know, small country town that you've never really heard of before. Um, just sell up everything, relocate, go do that. It's going to be a nice church for you to look after. Um, might be a few sort of teething issues in the first year or two, but just do it. Would, would any of us be silly enough to follow that through? Like, Surely you'd look at that logically and go, nah, nah, can't do it. But we've got great senior pastors here who show that faith. Um, and I just want to honour them in the sense of, like, um, in particular, the highlight for me was 
Rachel's message last week around ownership versus renting. If you haven't seen it, go listen. Go listen online. Um, they are people that uh, don't have a rental uh, mindset here in Horsham. They've got the ownership mindset. I think they bought a block of land almost before they moved here so that they could build a house. The girls have followed them over here. Um, yeah, just great guys that are living out their, um, their faith and being a live example yeah. to us. Yeah. So thank you. So talking about this, like, and if you think of it with kids as well, the faith of a child, like kids just have this really simple kind of mindset. I know most of our kids, like Maddie in particular and Grace and Lincoln to a slightly lesser degree, they have this ability just to go to a playground and become best friends with the kid that's playing on the slide with them. I'm sure, like, yeah, some of the parents are nodding, so you've seen kids do this. It's that kind of faith where it's just about accepting people for who they are, loving people for who they are, not really getting caught up with, well, which footy club do you support? Because I might not like you if you support the wrong one, that kind of thing. Um, that's how kids just approach life in general. And that, I think, is a great way for us to approach our faith. But how is it that we go from just that level of simplistic faith into fully operating as a child of God, understanding our authority, um, our influence that we can have because we're a child of the Most High God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Um, as we go through this, I'm reminded of when I first started my work career. Now, for those that don't know, I happen to work for um, one of the major banks. I've been in the banking game for about 20-odd years now. The first branch that I worked at was a small suburban branch back in WA. And I got the job off the back of me going to uni and um, I kind of I started with the bank thinking I could go get some practical business experience because I had the, the theory of my university certificate, which I think is still framed in, in a box and never comes out. Um, but I went to work just for a couple of months, year or two tops, just to get some practical experience. And obviously 20 years later, I'm still doing banking. But I was working alongside this lady who had been there for eight years. And this lady's name, I'll call her Anna because that was what her name was. And she was, um, apologies Anna if you're listening, um, she was uh, like really good at her job. She'd been there for eight years, she lived just around the corner so she knew in the morning what time she had to leave work to get there, you know, riders they needed to get in and do everything and she had the routine to set up. She knew that Monday mornings were going to be all the businesses bringing in their cash and what was involved with, with Monday and Tuesday and Wednesdays were kind of a little bit quieter and a bit more of sort of some other types of transactions. Thursday mornings, the old days back in the 90s where it was pension Thursday and the queues out the door until about three in the afternoon, for those that remember those days. Um, you know, Thursdays were yeah, consistently that. Fridays was always the case. It was your wage earners coming in around lunchtime to grab out their cash ready to celebrate on a Friday night. Businesses bringing in cash to get change ready for the weekend and all that. And it was this routine and everything that she just, she had down pat. Now, I came in as a bit of a hothead thinking I knew everything because I'd been to university and University of Western Australia, no less. Um, and so I came in and was yeah, a bit of a hothead, like I say. And within about 12 months, I got promoted up to a slightly more senior position, which meant I got onto the same pay grade as what Anna got onto. And she looked at it and she was so upset and she went and spoke to her boss and she's going, or our boss, she's going, I've been here for eight years, I know the job inside out, I know all the tasks, I know exactly how to do things. How come you're paying Nathan the same amount? He's only been here for one year. And the key difference was, and he was uh, diplomatic enough, he didn't actually specify this to her, 
But the key difference was she really had had the same year of experience, year over year, for eight years. And it was just the same routine. And she did know a lot about the individual tasks and things like that. Whereas I was coming to my boss saying, this is where I want to go eventually. This is the kind of promotion that I want to have and things like that. What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? What do I need to prove to you to show it? And he had sent me a task and I'd go out and do it. Look, read this book. Great, go read it, all that. Yeah, this is my takeaway. This is what I'm going to learn. Go put it into practice. Go to this course, do all that. And so for me, the difference was that it wasn't just one year of experience that I had, but it was this constant growth that I was on. And that's really the, the key thing for us, that in terms of relating this back to Peter's life and to us here in Harvest right now, um, we can sometimes fall into that trap even as Christians. So for me personally... I've, uh, it was my other Bible I was looking at last night. I remember December 15th, 1990 was when I got baptised. So I made a decision at a youth live rally about four weeks, six weeks earlier. And that was, I'd grown up in a Baptist church. So I was kind of a Christian all my life. But that day in October was when I knew that I had to make a personal uh, conviction myself. But I can look back on that, what, 32 years worth of Christian walk and I know there's some times where it's like, man, I reckon I've gone through a season where maybe five, ten years of that was just the same year over and over. And what's even more frustrating, if I can be a little bit vulnerable with you, is I'm pretty sure there's at least two or three years within that where it was probably even the same week over and over 52 weeks of the year. Because I'd go to church, I'd get filled up, I'd go away, and I'd do the same old, same old. I'd maybe read the Bible because I was brought up that you read the Bible. I pray every night. I said to the kids a couple of weeks ago, I still pray the same prayer every night um, because it's just like almost out of habit to a degree for that part of it. But, you know, that's the risk that we run, that week in, week out can just be the same bit. And that's the difference. If we come to Jesus with the childlike faith, that's fantastic. But that's only the first part of it. We need to be able to take what we're learning and what we're, um, yeah, what we're learning to be able to apply so what I want to do, and in particular, like this is around when we're looking at it, like Andrew mentioned, our church culture of to know Jesus and to make him known. It goes beyond just reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible or just praying for the sake of reading uh, praying prayers. The other quick thing that I just want to point out as well is um, often when we look at these kind of things, we can get caught up that it doesn't happen straight away, and that's Okay. Because when you look at the life of Peter, and we'll have a look at a couple of examples, he was with Jesus for three years, and that's how he was able to change, and we'll look at that in a second. Some people talk about, particularly again in Pentecostal circles, when we're in youth, we used to constantly have guys coming up going, oh, I just need that road to Damascus experience, and then in a moment, everything will change. And if you were one of those people, praise God, I'm happy for you, but what I've found in my life, and I'm sure most people would know, that doesn't happen where it's instantaneous. Even to the point where the Apostle Paul had the road to Damascus experience and then had to spend 14 years being able to seek out God, apply what he had learnt in terms of the, the Jewish scriptures to be able to position himself to go out and do the ministry time of the, the missions that he did. We look at his life and we read the Bible and we think, yeah, it was just, it was road to Damascus and then he's out straight away. It was 14 years. So unfortunately we live in, and these are the words, uh, the wise words of Lisa Simpson, we live in an um, instant oatmeal, quick fix, one hour photo society where everyone wants everything now. Unfortunately that doesn't happen. 
but don't get disappointed. Just keep on. Um, I haven't run this past Andrew, but I did have a thought the other week. It's along the lines of just stay in the game. So whether you're watching online, guys up at nil, if you're here in the room, to stay in the game. Keep on rocking up to church. Keep on pressing into God. You will get the breakthrough that you're after. It will come. So let's have a look at a few of Peter's learning opportunities to see a common pattern. I might actually, um, Lindley, sorry, if I can throw to Mark 9, 33 to 34, first of all. Um, they came to Capernaum where he was in the house and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So I want to throw this one up just as a bit of a kind of juxtaposition to the other ones. This was as they're walking along, the disciples are sort of hanging back from Jesus talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Now, you sort of, you pick up from this that maybe they were far back enough that they didn't think that Jesus knew what they were talking about, but Jesus knew what they were talking about. So if we can then go to the second one, because I want to show the, the correct response that we should have. Uh, Mark 20, uh, 9, 28, we'll go to that one. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And this was just a few verses before that, that second one, uh, the first one that I showed you. But this was the story of uh, where they'd come across a boy that had, uh, was demon-possessed and the disciples were praying over him and couldn't release the boy from him, uh, from the demons. And Jesus just came along and prayed for them and um, talks through that with them. But they go to him privately and say, well, why is it? And I want to highlight this because the difference between those two scenarios are one of them's just them discussing it amongst themselves. The other one is they go directly to Jesus and ask him. So if we can have a look at the second, uh, the third one, sorry, is Luke 13, 24. Ah, and I reckon I've put the wrong verse in there, sorry. Um, it might be uh, Luke 23, 24 for those that are keeping notes. Um, so the one that I did want to share was uh, where they were talking at the last, um, the last Supper. Jesus spoke to them all about who was going to betray them and was being very specific around what was going to flow out of like, following on from the Last Supper and leading up to the crucifixion. And off the, the back of that, similar kind of thing happens. They start talking to each other and the verse I wanted to focus on was where Peter turns to John and says, hey, can you ask him who he's actually talking about? Because they're trying to work it out themselves. And I guess the, the thing that looking at all these is they're not trying to find, when they're trying to get to the right answer, it's not so much about focusing on themselves. Like, they've spent lots of time with Jesus. I'm sure they've got lots of good theories around why things are happening or why Jesus has made certain decisions. But why not go and ask the boss himself? Like, just go straight to Jesus and ask him. And the reason we want to do this, there's three quick verses I want to run through. John 14, chapter 6, most of you will know this one. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. If you want to know the truth for any situation, go to Jesus and find it out from him. Um, now, I mentioned before, I grew up in a Baptist church where, uh, like, the, really solid theological training for those that have grown up in a baptist church you'd remember like you get told really solid teaching about bible and um, your relationship with jesus and i'm eternally grateful for the way that i was raised 
both by my parents' direct influence, but also from the church's influence. But it also got me thinking, because, and I'm going to jump to a bit of a weird example here, but hopefully this will make sense when I get to the end of it. The other day, what happens when Andrew asked me to preach? Like, you obviously dive into the word and think about it, and you just chew on it for a long time. Um, and what happens is quite often I'm doing my jobs around the house to, like, while I'm thinking of all these kind of things. So this particular morning, just to set the scene, go out before work, I've got to put the sprinklers on, get the eggs from the chooks, all this kind of stuff. But one of the big important jobs is I've got to feed the pigs. Now, the problem with feeding the pigs is when they eat, they act like pigs. And so what happens is I've got this big trough, and if I go and pour the grain into it, they try to get into it before I've even poured it, and then it goes everywhere and all sorts of stuff. They're pigs, literally. So what I do is I've got another smaller sort of tub that I can put some food into, and I just pour a tiny little bit in, and what happens is they all run to that, so then I can go to the big trough, and I can pour the whole bucket in and everyone's happy and it all stays nice and neat and everything like that. <laughs> now, what I observed this morning was while I was reflecting on this, was that the four pigs were all sitting around the small trough and eating the small amount of food that I'd put in there when there was an abundance of food just sitting to the side of them. And what I was thinking in terms of this is don't latch on to the first theology that you, you hear. Like, it could be great theology. That food that the pigs were eating in the small trough, that was still good food. Like, don't get me wrong, it was still good food. But it wasn't the fullness of what was available if they just turned around and saw. And I think too often, like, for me, um, like, yeah, I've got to be careful with how I word it. I'm not trying to put down the Baptist church. It was just the one that I grew up in. The power of the Holy Spirit was just something that they kind of avoided and they didn't go into. And I remember the first time I went into a Pentecostal youth service and it was just man there is something that's been missing from here and I remember going to my youth pastor going back to my youth pastor at the Baptist church saying I just can't put my finger on it but there's something different what is it we're missing and all of a sudden like over time it was sort of a couple of years later all of a sudden it was like yep it's the power of the Holy Spirit so like I say it's not necessarily bad things that you're learning but um, yeah don't latch on to to just the first thing. We need to look to Jesus for the truth because he's the ultimate source of truth. The other quick thing I wanted to, to, to share on this as well is the power of the internet. Um, because I've got a phrase here. We live in an environment where we have unlimited resources to develop our theology. And that's awesome because you can jump online and you can find out all sorts of things. If, if there's an area of theology you want to learn about, it will be online. The downside is we live in an environment where we have unlimited resources to develop our theology. It's the same thing, same sentence. But that's the problem because um, Google, Facebook, YouTube, they all have algorithms to reinforce and feed you things that you're already keen on learning. And so if you've gone down a particular path, and I read an experiment a couple of years ago, a guy just went on Facebook and started liking every single post he saw. And what happened was over time, his feed diverged like to extreme left-wing and extreme right-wing because you only needed to like something slightly left of centre and you'd get fed lots of stuff even further left of centre and right. like something slightly right of centre and suddenly you'd go off to the right and all of a sudden he's getting bamboozled with stuff both sides. So don't rely necessarily on Google, YouTube, Facebook to teach you gospel truth. Did, I didn't say the wrong thing? Good, okay. 
which then leads me on to Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Just, again, going back to that analogy of sometimes we can read great stuff, like the internet's powerful, you'll be able to find someone who can present a compelling argument one way or another somewhere on the internet. But that means we've got to guard our hearts. Remember um, a couple of years ago, I saw a uh, documentary. It was a fantastic documentary, great bunch of uh, really deep theological teachers. But there was just a couple of things that I didn't necessarily agree with the approach that they were taking and the way that they kind of presented the information. And I really had to make sure that my heart was guarded when I was watching it. Because I know that there was people that were challenged even more and potentially could have been in the position where they would have given up on their faith because of what these guys were saying. Now, it was good stuff they were presenting, but it was just a case for me. I had to make sure I guarded my heart to know what was true um, and what God was saying to me. And then the last one around this scenario I want to look at is Genesis 3.1. And this is literally the oldest trick that the devil has ever used in the book. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden, in the garden? The devil uses that all the time for us. Did God really say that? Our kids use it against us. Did <laughs> mum really say that? <laughs> Did um, at Lincoln and Grace will have a, a lively discussion that may involve fists and things like that. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's kind of a case they play against each other of, oh, this is what she said. Did she really say that? No, but in this case, the devil's using it to trick us into, did God really say that? And it's like, well, get back into the word and you can see exactly what it was that he said. So uh, we've got to stay true to course. We've got to follow Jesus for the, the truth. Uh, and the way that we do that is we get stuck into his word to so that we can have his character revealed to us, his nature and the power that he has. And the other thing is that we've got to pray. Pretty straightforward. But to me, praying is about positioning ourselves in humility for him to talk to us, to share what, like have a conversation with him so that he can reveal what he needs to do in our life. Prayer's not always about us going to God saying, God, I need you to move to do this. It's about us just being positioned to be able to say, God, where do you need me to do? What do you want me to do? Um, the other thing, though, off the back of that is it's not just simply about... Um, praying and reading his word. We need to know how we take that information to be able to grow the relationship with Jesus. So as an example, we can know all the facts about someone, but that doesn't mean we necessarily know that person. We can know all the facts, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily in relationship with them. So it's about how do we apply that and um, use that on a daily and weekly basis. And during the week, I was reminded of Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, and I think we were really hitting on it this morning. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, I think so often in life, we can sort of look at that and think, that's for a glorious day that's still to come. And I've always sort of thought of it as, yeah, that's an end times kind of thought of this is going to happen at one day in the future. But how different would our community be 
if we lived and breathed that every day. If every day was a case of us just stepping before Jesus and saying, Jesus, I bow before you today. Let your will be done in my life. I declare that the name of Jesus Christ is above every other name. And when I pray for healing in someone's life, that they are going to be healed. When I pray for breakthrough in someone's relationship, there is going to be breakthrough. When I pray for family members who have walked away from God to be restored, that they are going to be restored into the kingdom. Because the name of Jesus Christ is above every other name. And we need to take it from just being the written word and a document that we read or a prayer that we just pray out of on a necessity or rote learning or habit or anything like that into a powerful, passionate prayer of our heart to align our heart with God's heart. Amen. Lord, we just thank you that you are the name above every other name. We thank you that what it is that you did on the cross has provided a breakthrough for us. Lord, we thank you that we can have salvation and we can have full life And not just that, Lord, as Christians, that we can have a life that is full of abundance and full of fullness because of who you are and what you've given to us. Amen. Thank you, God. Look, before I wrap up, I do just, I'm very mindful and I really feel like God's been stirring things. So whether you're online, up at nil, here in the room, I'll just ask you for a moment if you can close your eyes. We're going to pray a simple prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. And I'm really believing that this morning that God's wanting to restore people to relationship with him. And he's been speaking to you, drawing you in this morning. So we're going to pray this simple prayer. It's three steps. Say we're sorry. Say thank you, S-T. And then A, ask Jesus into our heart. And he'll say yes and he'll stay with us. So if you could please repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for living life my own way sorry for doing the wrong thing by you I thank you that you gave me salvation by dying on the cross I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life Amen if you can keep your eyes closed for a moment if that's you this morning we've got a gift for you but we want to know what I'd like to know because I'd like to come and say day to you afterwards Um, If that was you, if you're online and you've prayed that prayer for the first time, if you could just put some comments in there and the the team will pick up the comments there up at Neil, go see Brian and Alison. If you're in the room here in Horsham and you've prayed that for the first time or you've maybe prayed that as a prayer of dedication, could you please just raise your hand for a moment? It's not to embarrass you. It's not to embarrass anyone. It's just so that I can acknowledge it, say good day, and we can give you a gift. Awesome. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. See that one as well. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, 